Well, good morning. How do you respond to difficulties, trials, and tribulations that you face? Ruth and Naomi certainly had to, as we have seen in this introduction. Your response uh, to trials and tribulations not only reflects your faith, it also reflects uh, your testimony. It is your testimony to the world around you. Uh, different crises, difficulties certainly uh, do offer great opportunities. We see this throughout the entire Bible, whether it be Joseph in a pit leads to Joseph on the throne. Daniel in the lion's den uh, leads to Darius's profession of faith. Uh, Paul's thorn leads to his glory. Christ's cross leads to our salvation. So let me ask you, what, what is your response when you are facing a very difficult trial in life? What is your most immediate response? Perhaps for you it's fear. Maybe it's to be defensive. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxiety. Uh, maybe it's just to become passive. I think what we're going to find in this passage, especially chapter 3, uh, the thesis or the big idea would be faith welcomes the difficulties and challenges of life as a gift. That's almost an oxymoron. A gift from a loving Heavenly Father with our response serving as a testimony of our faith and trust in His loving sovereignty. What we find in Ruth and Naomi's life is that desperate needs prompts godly trust. So Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law from Moab, uh, return now to Bethlehem. It's been, it's been 10 years of famine. It's been an extremely rough time. And so chapter 1 expresses all of these difficulties. And I would dare say, if you want to line up your struggles with, with Naomi and Ruth, uh, it would be a pretty tough comparison for most of us, I would say. Uh, she, Naomi lost her husband. He died. Elimelech dies. But uh, not only that, her, both of her sons die as well. They, they are starving at this point. And the only way even to survive is to go back uh, to Bethlehem. What we find out in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is that Naomi is absolutely convinced that God is very great, he's very powerful, but she is not convinced that God really has her best in mind. And so she says, for example, in chapter 1, verse 21, she said, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She's not making excuses for global warming or anything like that. She's just saying, the Lord brought me back empty. Now, I would call that a trial, full, empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has tes testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. In chapter 2, we find Naomi's hope is lifted up by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is laboring for food and the very kind, compassionate, gracious response of Boaz gives hope to Naomi of God's loving kindness and compassion. You could picture this almost as common grace where God allows the rain to fall on the unjust as well as, as the just. In chapter 3, then, I think we're going to find out what faith looks like when it's confronted with a crisis. You know, who are we really trusting in? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in God? What is Naomi going to do? I mean, the barley harvest is almost over. What are they going to do for food? What is Ruth going to do? She's going to be given this sort of unusual assignment. Uh, what, what is she going to do? 
She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have progeny. What is she going to do? What is Boaz going to do when, when uh, he's confronted with a request that would be very unusual and could change his uh, very predictable and affluent lifestyle? How are you going to respond uh, when confronted with decisions? Uh, how's the church? How is Parkview going to respond when confronted with decisions and opportunities? Do we respond uh, with our own human wisdom and intuition and human abilities, or do we humbly allow God to direct us even through some of the most difficult circumstances of life? I love the book of Ruth because the book of Ruth to me is this wonderful picture of salvation. Certainly, uh, Ruth, many of you know by now, is in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. It's this wonderful picture. We see Ruth coming to the cross. We, we see Ruth coming uh, to the threshing floor of Calvary uh, in this particular passage. It, it means that we become very, very aware of our needs, aware of God's love for us, aware that Jesus is our Goel, he's our redeemer. Uh, he pays the ultimate price for us in the slave market of sin. He, he wants to be our husband. We want to be his bride. Uh, we come sincere, we come humble, we lay down uh, before his feet, and we say, spread your wings over your servant. And he clothes us then with the righteousness of Christ. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as, uh, as a, a comforter, someone to guarantee our future, to guarantee that we will enter into the marriage feast of the Lamb, this bridal feast. So we look here in chapter 3, these first five verses of the coming crisis. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he'll tell you to do what to do. He'll tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So again, you've got to understand the, the situation. They have gone through an extremely, extremely difficult and emotional time. They are right now in what you would call absolute desperate need. And the harvesting now for the summer is over. And Ruth's gleaning is going to be over. And Naomi and Ruth's security and source of, of, of food is now coming to an end. What are they going to do? How are they going to be able to live? So what is Naomi's response in the crisis? She now, at this particular point, gives to her, gives to Ruth, her own nearest relative, and that's Boaz. She doesn't claim him for herself. He says, you take Boaz, the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer. I'm past childbearing years, uh, so you, please, go to this winnowing celebration. Go to the threshing floor. Now, typically what they would do after that, at the harvest time, they would harvest the, the barley at this point, barley, the grain. They would go to a high point of the city where the wind would blow over the crest of a hill. For us in Iowa City, this would be the gas station at Costco where the wind, <laughs> the wind just 
goes over it. And so they would take the grain there, they would beat it, they would grind it, and then they would throw it in the air, and the, the grain would fall, and the husks would, would, would blow away, and then they would gather uh, the grain together. And so Ruth, uh, who has been in mourning, is instructed by Naomi, uh, I want you to, to wash, anoint yourself, put on some perfume, um, get get your, your clothes together, and I want you to go in. He's going to be there by the grain asleep, protecting the grain. Again, it's, it's, this has been a famine for years and years, so this is a, a bountiful harvest. He's going to be protecting his grain, go in, uncover his feet, and lie down uh, at, at his feet. And you think, why? Why in the world is, is Naomi doing this? Well, she is really, at this point, taking advantage of God's provision for the poor by providing not only property, but, but uh, children as well. And so Naomi is pursuing the law, which at this point is reflecting the tremendous compassion for this divine lawgiver. Now, I, I just want to make this point right off the bat. Please don't think this passage is not saying the way to approach God is by taking a bath. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but it's not take a bath, get dressed up, put on cologne, and go to church. That's not the point of this passage at all. The point of this passage is the only way that you can approach God is by coming to the point where you recognize your incredible neediness. There is no chance for life unless you come to the Redeemer unless you come to him. Uh, you're going to the one who can provide something that you cannot provide for yourself. That's the blessings of trials and tribulations. That's the blessing of going through tough times. It gets you the, to the point where you have nowhere else to turn. There's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is to cast yourself at the feet of the Savior. Also, I want you to be inspired, I think, by Naomi's care for Ruth. She is an incredible picture of Philippians 2, uh, 3 to 4. Count others as more important than yourself. That's what Naomi is doing. She is counting Ruth as being more important than herself. She is the picture of 1 Timothy 5.2 and Titus 2.3, which encourages the older women to take care of, to disciple, to shepherd uh, the younger, younger women, children, etc. Care for them. Give yourself in love to them. Now notice how she comes. She comes in all humility. So she goes to the threshing floor. She did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And Boaz had eaten and drunk. His heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. She came softly, uncovered his feet. She laid down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So the harvest is over. Uh, Boaz is asleep on the threshing floor at this point. And uh, so what is Ruth going to do? By faith, Ruth obeys the instruction of her mother-in-law, Naomi. It says in verse 6, she did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. It reminds me of John chapter 2. I, I told you about Don Tab passing away of this unfortunate uh, drowning with a boating accident. And I, I remember looking back 46 uh, years ago 
te- him teaching a Sunday school, one of the first Sunday school classes I went, he would pre he would teach Sunday school, then he would preach. And so we were in Sunday school, and he was looking at, at John 2, and it was a story of um, uh, the wedding feast at Canaan. And so he was down, there were about eight of us there, and he, he was pointing at us, and he said, "Whatever." when Jesus said to those servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I can still remember him saying that. And that's sort of the picture here. And I, I think the point is, it's a great rule for life. And I think the more you obey the word of God, if you're a child, uh, you will find success. That's what we do when we come to the Redeemer. It's how can we obey the word of God? So the threshing floor, to me, as we look at this, and especially in light of the New Testament, the threshing floor is this beautiful picture of Calvary where Jesus uh, has separated in judgment the wheat from the chaff. He gathers his own to himself. He has secured the salvation of the elect on the cross. The wheat now is secure in the barn. Uh, The price has been paid, and he is at rest. So it's at this point uh, Ruth now comes to Boaz, coming to the threshing floor of Calvary. The judgment has been made. Jesus is resting. And so how is she to come? Well, she's to come. She's to wash. uh, She's to anoint herself. She's to cloak herself. Uh, In other words, Ruth for salvation is going, uh, not just to sort of check things out, not just to have a good time, but she is absolutely serious. She is going, meaning to take him as a husband. She is extremely serious about this. And when you come to Christ on the threshing floor of Calvary, maybe in, uh, initially uh, you, you are filled with curiosity. And I think that's the, the common grace that we all ex- experience. I think that's what Ruth experienced, the, just the common grace of a very kind, generous man, you know, getting sheaves. And, and so she was super impressed by his generosity, by his grace, by his mercy. Uh, she was very impressed by that. But now she knows the only way for her to live is if he becomes her redeemer, her kinsman redeemer. And so she is going with all intentionality, very seriously. She's coming to, to Calvary, so to speak. She, is, she wants him as her husband because there is no hope outside of that for her. So she comes in, she lays down uh, at his feet, sincere, humble, waiting for him to act in mercy. You know, there are a number of people throughout the Bible that approach Christ in different ways. And there are a number of ways you can approach Christ and you are not met with acceptance. You're not met uh, with him pouring his heart out to you. For example, the Pharisees who came to John the Baptist on the Jordan River. Uh, John the Baptist said, who warned you to flee from the wrath of, to come, you brood of vipers? I mean, they weren't there for the fear of God. They were only there because everybody else was going there. The, the crowd was there. It says that all the people from, from the Jordan area, from Jerusalem, from uh, Judea, they were all there. They didn't come in brokenness and repentance. Or, for example, Pontius Pilate. He came out of it. He came clearly just intellectual curiosity. Are you the king of the Jews? You know, Jesus doesn't even answer him. Herod was fascinated with Jesus. Herod, Herod was only interested in the esoteric. Hey, do a miracle for me. Jesus wouldn't do a miracle for Herod. No. What about the rich young ruler? 
the rich young ruler. What good must I do to inherit eternal life? He was only interested in another brownie point. He was interested in some contract deal. Jesus wasn't interested in that. No, you come to his feet in absolute humility. You lay down before his feet with a contrite heart, with a desperate need. And that was Ruth. You don't come earning, deserving anything. So the multitude, that's another example. Uh, they came to Jesus, and Jesus said to them, You sought me not because you saw the signs and knew that I was the Son of God, because, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. That's all you want. All you want are perks. You want wealth. You want health. You want happiness. That's all you want. And he turns and he leaves from them. There's only one way to come to Christ, and that is because you have been rejected. You are a Moabite. You are an enemy of God, and you come sincere, and you come humbled, you come resting, you come broken, and you come desperate because he is the only one who can give you hope and life. So now let's watch Ruth's proposal. She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And Boaz had eaten and he drank and his heart was merry and he went in to lie down. She comes in softly and covers his feet. And at midnight, the man was startled and, and said, uh, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. I'm the one that you've helped. I'm the one that you've shared this common grace with. I'm, I'm the one that you loved. I'm the one that you took care of. And now I want to ask you for something. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, in our culture, uh, it would be very different, of course. Uh, to me, the, the reflection of that would be uh, in a wedding. I've probably done clearly over 100 weddings at, at this church over the years, last 27 or so years. And uh, typically when you get married, a, a guy will have a ring, and, and the ring is used as a symbol. It, it's an intent it's a symbol that's showing that I, I will keep this covenant. I will perform these vows. Now, that's very unusual. Back then, that would be extremely different. Uh, typically, back then, uh, the man would have a coat on, and so he would unbutton his coat. And the coat was something that, that he purchased out of his abundance, out of his wealth, and it's what gave him warmth, it would, it's what kept him dry, and so he would take that coat off and he would wrap that coat around uh, his bride, and it was a symbol, it was a symbol that he imputes to her everything that he is, everything that he has, and he is saying, I will be cold, I will be wet, so that you can be warm and you can be dry. That's what being saved is. It's coming as an enemy whose heart has been kindled to a man who loves you and can provide for you and can redeem you. It's coming sincere. It's coming in all humility, lying at his feet in contrition, and you saying, spread your wings over me, over your servant, for you are my redeemer. And that's exactly what salvation is. You know, Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, that... Uh, we are then, we put on Christ. We are clothed, we're clothed, we're garmented with Christ himself. He took what he was, the very Holy One of God, and he gives it to us as an absolute free gift 
for the trusting, for the asking. And then he takes what we did and he puts it on himself. And he dies for that on the cross. He redeems us, sets us free. That's spreading our wings. Uh, that's, we're, we're asking him to spread his wings over, our, our, over us. That's being clothed in Christ, putting the covering on his bride. That's how we can have so much assurance in our salvation, that he'll never leave us, he'll never cast us out, because he is our faithful Goel. He is our faithful Redeemer. And do you notice that this, reflecting back to the previous chapter, chapter 2, this is exactly what Boaz prayed for, exactly. Verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And that expression is used throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. For example, that was the expression that was used uh, by God about Israel as a nation. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Is the same imagery that Jesus used uh, going to the cross. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and the stones that were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her, her brood under her wings and you would not. If you are here and not a believer in Jesus Christ, let me ask you, to whom do you belong? Do you have anyone in your life who can guide you and direct you? Is, is there anyone in your life who cares for you and who loves you that much? That's why the Bible wants us to be pointed to Jesus so that we can trust and obey and follow him, especially through the most difficult times of life. Those difficult times are the very things that point us to the only one who can help us and give us hope and ultimately redeem us. Notice the confirming, the confirming hope. How did Boaz respond? May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Uh, the first kindness was is very obvious. It was the kindness that Ruth had showed her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the last virtue is even better. He says the last virtue is you haven't gone after young men. Boaz probably at this time is around late 40s, 50 years old. Ruth is probably in her 20s, early 20s probably. And uh, and the reason the reason she, he is congratulating her, saying that this is an incredible virtue, is that she, Ruth, was willing to look at the inner character of Boaz rather than on the external appeal of a young guy. And... Uh, to me, this is such a, a beautiful picture of, of the gospel. It's such a beautiful picture of Jesus because the Bible says that if you're coming to Christ, uh, you're not coming to a beautiful person. You're coming to an individual who was a rejected man and a rejected nation who's gone to a cross that God rejected 
and God slew him for you. That is not a pretty picture. He's got nail prints in his hands, spikes in his feet, a crown of thorns on his brow, a spear in his side. His back has been laid open all for you. On the outside, he's not a handsome savior until you get to know him. And when you get to know him, on the inside, he is absolutely lovely. He is the very essence of love itself. And so now, my daughter, don't fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain here tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him go. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. He says, Ruth, uh, you know, I would love to redeem you, but there is somebody who has ties to you right now that are closer than I do. So I'm going to leave in the darkness, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to meet with him, and I will pay the ransom price that is demanded. And I think typically and prophetically, the one who has these claims on Ruth right now is sin itself. Sin has the claims on Ruth's life. And yet Boaz goes into the dark black of night. He meets this one uh, person one-on-one, sin itself, on the cross in the darkness, and he pays the ransom price. He paid what it took to release her from the from the binds of sin and Satan and death, and so that she could be the bride of Christ. That's why when you get to the cross and you look at the cross, you remember the last words on the cross? The last words in John uh, chapter 19, verse 30, to tell us die. It is finished. It's been paid in full. The redemption price has been paid in full. I love the sensitivity of both Ruth and Boaz here. She laid down at his feet until morning, rose before one could recognize another, and he says to her, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Um, I know a lot of you are are single, and if you're a young man, and if you're single, or if you're dating, um, do you know why he did that? I'll tell you why he did it. He wanted to protect the reputation of his bride-to-be. Boaz wanted his bride to be spotless. He wanted his bride to be blameless. He wanted his bride to be without stain and without wrinkle. And young men, let me tell you, that is exactly the way, if you are going to date, that is exactly the way you treat a woman. Just like that. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, you abstain from even the appearance of evil. And if you are a young lady, don't ever, ever put yourself in the position where anybody could ever think ill about you. Abstain from even the appearance of evil. 
I expect to be paid extra for that one by you parents. <laughs> but then notice the confident rest that we have. Uh, Boaz isn't going to see Ruth again until he takes her to be his bride. He's getting ready now to give her a down payment for his bounty. He says, bring the garment over here that you're wearing, hold it out. And she brings it. He measures out six measures of barley, and he gives it to her. And so and it's exactly, it's just such a beautiful picture of salvation that when we come to Christ, you know, he gives us that down payment before the wedding feast, before we become uh, the bride to the groom at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Uh, he gives us a down payment of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's the greatest thing he could ever give us is the Holy Spirit. And um, I love it too. So she goes home, and when she came to her mother-in-law, how did, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her about the man, what he had done for her, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, you wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter uh, today. And I would think, especially going through, not only in our salvation, we wait, we rest. He's going to come again. He's going to take us. There will be the marriage feast of the Lamb. And right now, our position as believers, even if we're going through trials and tribulations, isn't to sweat it, isn't to have anxiety, isn't to fret, isn't, isn't to, to flail out, but it's to rest in Christ, secure rest in Him, uh, knowing that He has gone out. He's prepared a place for us. And if He's gone away, He will receive us unto Himself for where He is. That's where we're going to be also. We rest in that. It doesn't matter what we're going through. The most difficult thing in the world, we could be going through it. But we can be at peace and at rest in Christ because look at, look at his love for us. Look how much he cares for us. Look how he takes care of us. If he's given us the six measures of barley, don't you think he'll come with the seventh to take care of you? Of course he will. Of course he will. And I think, you know, just to sort of summarize the whole thing, to, just to show how godly trust results in a personal testimony. And I think every single person, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, everybody has, in essence, a similar testimony uh, to Ruth. So just as I look at the whole book of Ruth, I look at her testimony, our testimony is so much like this. I was a Moabite. I was an enemy of God. I, I was condemned. But he came to me. He came to me with kindness, and uh, he kindled my heart and made me aware of him. That's the common grace of God. He's not only good, he's not only loving, he's not only just, but all of a sudden now I realize he is my Goel. He is my Redeemer. So I sought him. I sought him because he was seeking me. And in all humility, I came and I, I cast myself at his feet and I asked him in faith to spread his wings over his servant, my Redeemer. And my Redeemer pays the price. He sets me free from the bondage of sin and death and then he clothes me with righteousness and he gives me the seal of his Holy Spirit and he will come again someday and I will be with him forever with the Lord as his bride. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Uh, Ruth's testimony is your testimony, in a sense. And uh, I think we can have all the confidence in the world that Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never forsake us, even in the midst of the most difficult of trials. He has given you new life and his spirit as a promise. And he will complete the good work that he has started in your life. If you are here without Christ, let me just appeal to you. Uh, the way to approach Christ is to approach Jesus as Ruth approached Boaz. You approach him as if you are dead. There is absolutely no hope in life apart from Christ. There is no way out. There's no way out except for that. And we just appeal in faith, spread your wings over your servant. And this I ask in faith and in confidence, Lord, because of who you are. You are my Redeemer. And I think if, you're going, if you know Christ and are going through extremely difficult times, remind yourself of his incredible love for you. Ruth saw that from the very beginning. Naomi saw that from the very There is this kind, gracious compassionate, wonderful man who is so sensitive to their every need. E even the way the sheaves, you know, drop some sheaves for them. Give them extra. Give them extra. You know, just keep giving them extra. So kind, so gracious, so compassionate. What about you? What about you? Who are you really trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? your own wisdom, your own schemes? Are you trusting in the Savior, especially through the most difficult trials? Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for the trials that we go through, that they come into our lives not as something to punish us or to harass us, but even the most difficult of trials, whether it be the death of a spouse or children, as was the case with, with Naomi and with Elimelech and her two sons, uh, but they come as good gifts from a loving Heavenly Father. So remind us, Lord, remind us of where our hope comes from, that you are a God who loves us and cares for us and sees us and plans for us and gives us security and gives us a hope. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that the journey that we go through in life is so much like that of Ruth, that we come to you knowing that there is no hope outside of you. We, we could just come as enemies of God. We come condemned, but you love us. Uh, and that not, not only do you love us, but you are our redeemer. You have paid that price to set us free. So we, we just cast ourselves at your feet our loving Savior, we ask you, please spread your wings of love over us. And uh, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're going to come again. We can have confidence in that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.